0: Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Abar with Environmental Defense Fund,
1: and I'm Simone Malaz with Restore or Retreat.
0: Simone, how are you? We're at mid-October. Um, you know, it's been another wild week um, in Louisiana. Of course, um, Hurricane Delta made landfall. It's kind of bizarre to think that we have a Hurricane Delta right at this point, but um, you know it's the fourth storm to make landfall in Louisiana this year and the tenth storm to make landfall in the US this season so you know we had Steve Caparata on the show earlier and they were predicting a very active season um, I don't think this is what anyone imagined so our, our thoughts are certainly with the people in Southwest Louisiana who are again going through the worst of a hurricane you know while they have, blue tarps on their roofs, and are trying to recover from the devastation of Hurricane Laura. So, the, of course, this is the last thing anyone needed. Um, and, you know, we've echoed this on prior shows. Um, we had Sarah Judson on with the Community Foundation of Southwest Louisiana and others to talk about ways people can help and support um, our friends and neighbors in Southwest Louisiana who need our help right now. So um, please go to MississippiRiverDelta.org slash Relief. Um, and we'll have organizations on there that are doing work on the ground in Southwest Louisiana, helping communities recover. And, and we're updating it for hurricane Delta, but it has a lot of the, the information about organizations that are doing work on the ground in Southwest Louisiana. And certainly our hearts go out, you know, to, to these, these people who this is, like I said, the last thing anyone needed much less one storm, but now two. So um, we're hoping that we can just get through the rest of hurricane season. Let's, you know, keep the tropics really quiet and, um, but, you know, it's just kind of crazy to think that here we are, you know, fourth storm making landfall in Louisiana and, and two back to back in the Lake Charles, um, southwest Louisiana area. So certainly everyone in Cameron, Calcasieu, Vermilion parishes, et cetera, we're, we're really thinking of you right now.
1: Yeah, definitely um, been thinking about our friends Laurie Cormier and, and Claire Hebert out there um, having to to endure this yet again. It's I think we talked about it with Steve, um, but it does go to show you, Jacques, that all storms are different, right? This one had um, more water or there, as opposed to wind, and so you just don't really know what you're getting, so you have to be prepared all the way around. We did have such a really great discussion with both Sarah and Corey about ways that you can help our neighbors in Southwest. Louisiana. And so thank you for your reminder about that. I I certainly, definitely um, appreciated talking to Sarah about, you know, how needs change um, over over the um, rebuilding period. And so that's a nice reminder to go back and and listen to Sarah about ways that they can help their community directly. Um, you you took a vacation that week, uh, right? And I know I know a couple of other people probably thought that they were safe from a storm. Also goes to show you that hurricane season lasts until December first for a reason.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I it was not planned. Well, it was planned, but I, I certainly didn't think we would be dealing with a hurricane um, in the midst of our vacation. But um, Graham and I went up to uh, Lookout Mountain, which is on the um, Georgia-Tennessee border. Um, it's a beautiful area of the country. Um, we got to do a lot of hiking, um, a lot of outdoor activities. You know, it was actually looking like fall up there. The leaves are changing and the temperatures What is cooler. that?
2: What's that
1: word again?
0: It's, it's <laughs> fall. You know, it's a thing where uh, leaves turn a different color. Is that where
1: pumpkin spice lattes come from? That yeah, temp-
0: temperatures drop. <laughs> you can wear sweaters. You know, it's, it's really an amazing thing. Um, but yeah, you know, of course, our, our thoughts were with the folks down in Louisiana, and we were keeping track and just to see um, what what was happening. So um, yeah, back and, and ready to get back to work.
1: Um, and I know um, you were um, talking few... to another previous guest, previous guest Margaret Orr, all while you were away too, right? I did have a few conversations. With Margaret more, Orr, um, um, weather advice from Margaret. Well, how, is, how does that work? How well, do you get your own meteorologist? Shock.
0: So the well. <laughs> One, you know, Margaret Orr was selected, I think, one of the top uh, meteorologists in the New Orleans area, again, by the best of New Orleans. So I had texted congratulations for that. And we had an exchange. And basically she was saying that she had planned to go out of town, take a week off last week. Um, And then, of course, the storm hit. And she's just said that whenever she does plan to go out of town, usually there's some sort of activity that happens with the storm in the Gulf. So um, you know, certainly hope that Margaret and all of our meteorologists who have kept us informed um, and who have had to work what more than overtime throughout this hurricane season, you know, more than anyone would expect. I um, hope they're getting some well-deserved um, R&R and time off. But, you know, knowing Margaret last time, uh, you know, after she used her time off for, um, after Laura to go and actually help people on the ground yeah, in yeah, Southwest Louisiana. So it just speaks to the kind of person she is. And, Um, just really hoping that they all, you know, have some time and and we appreciate them so much because we know that um, in these moments, we look to them for guidance and to help communicate what's happening. Um, And like you said, every storm is different. And so it's really important to to stay weather aware, as they would say.
1: Jacques, on a, on a little lighter note, do you think there is like a stress test for both saints announcers and meteorologists? Like, do you think maybe, that, maybe that's like a ranking in New Orleans, right? The, the most stressful jobs that you can have.
0: Yeah. I mean, and certainly there's overlap, I would say there, because a lot of our, you know, meteorologists are also big saints fans and they're tweeting about it all the time. But yeah. I mean, I, I, will say I caught the tail end of the game last night. That was the best part. <laughs> was the best part. So um, I'll have to say my friend uh, and I joke, uh, this is from a few seasons back where there were a bunch of uh, missed field goals um, that resulted in saints wins. And we, we joked that it was the Benson breeze. So oh, um, like we think it. the Benson breeze was at play last night again. And then of course there was an amazing defensive stop um, at the end. So Um, exciting, you know, we all need a little bit of good news and, and we're, we're not going to get into LSU right now, but, uh, but at least with the saints, you know, our saints are kind of coming back and, and, uh, you know, getting back on track. So that was good to see.
1: Yeah, so enough Woody Banner from me and you. That's just because we missed each other over the last week or so. We want to get back to our guests for the show. Um, actually, I think it's definitely a relevant topic to talk about. Um, we have Jeanette Dubinin on again from CPEX, and she's going to be followed by Charles Sutcliffe from the Governor's Office of Coastal Activities. Um, but we want to talk about some climate stuff with Jeanette. So we want to welcome Jeanette back to the show. Uh, Jeanette is the the director of resilience and adaptation from CPACS. And um, we want to welcome you back to the show. We can see you, Jeanette. And I think I saw that that cat roll through. We talked about the cat last
2: time. <laughs> Well, we so, talked about it this time, too.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the show, Jeanette. We do want Thank to get you. back to um, to talking about your work and what you've been doing, but how have you been? Um, it, I think we talked to you in, in March, maybe, or May, um, one of those M months early on. Um, so how you
2: been? Still great. Um, yeah, we, um, you know, kids are back in school, at least sort of. Always good. Uh, some of them. And... Um, Life is going back to the new normal. I know nobody can see me do the quotes, but I made (laughs) finger quotes. And um, we're just, you know, we've adapted, I guess. So, yeah. And thanks for having me. Um, I, I really love being on the show, and I'm glad to be talking to you guys. So,
1: yeah, so you and Charles have been able to to keep working, right? And well, we we will give Charles an opportunity to to talk later about about your work together. But um, y'all just keep plugging away. We want to talk about that in a little bit. But you, one of your big conferences went virtual, so Smart Growth Summit. So tell us what Smart Growth is, how long you've been hosting it, and and what makes it different this year.
2: Yeah. So the Smart Growth Summit is an annual conference we've been hosting since 2005. So we're on our 15th year. And this is the first year we're going all uh, online or virtual, like everybody likes to say now. And so um, instead of having a whole day of just, you know, everybody been asked to sit on their computer, we actually are stretching it out into the six sessions that we're hosting over the next six weeks. And so, again, um, this year we're looking at how climate change is affecting communities and we're highlighting examples of adaptation, which is something we have done since probably 2012 or 13. And um, the smart growth itself is actually more about community planning, but again, um, communities are and their planning and the land they have available is so dependent on um climate change and the environment that they're in and so they're affected hey guys can you hear this i'm sorry can you we're it's good
0: like, no we, oh, we hear shit. you so
2: <laughs> i have like all this water going on around me so i might have to do this over <clears throat>
0: oh, no you're you're totally good and listen normally i have uh neighbors chainsawing out my window and all kinds of <laughs> things so it's just part of the ambient noise on delta dispatches no worries at all So Jeanette, you all have already had two sessions, correct? And I I think it's so interesting, the fact that you chose to kind of space it out over a few weeks. Everyone's trying to figure out, like, how do we do this virtual thing? How do we take conferences and make them online? Um, So yeah, how did the first two sessions go? Tell us about um, the topics that you all um, talked and some of the guests that you featured on those sessions.
2: Yeah, so... um... The, the first two topics that we discussed were on um, pandemic. So uh, I, it's, it's interesting because one might wonder, what does a pandemic have to do with climate change and community planning? And, And that is exactly what we're trying to explore, like how are our communities built and how does climate change affect that built environment and how is uh, public health, what role is public health playing in this or what effects um, does the community design have on the public health and what is the pandemic doing to all of those things? And so the first two sessions have focused on um, a history of, for instance, the pandemic. So did you know that since the 14th century, we had 15, 15 pandemics, um, killing millions of people around the globe. And of course, our population has only increased. So that's very interesting. Um, and then what has been the reaction from a community design perspective to um, the spread of diseases? And we don't normally think about this anymore. But in the first session, we had explored, OK, well, if we're just expanding out you know, into into the suburbs or which is now becoming more popular again for space reasons then we're also interacting with our environment more closely and thus gets us closer to um, habitats which animals live in and as we know pandemics are more often than not caused by interactions with wildlife and in our environment in louisiana where we have limited land available to develop it's only like it's such a It's such a difficult um, thing to wrap your head around that I'm really glad to have people who think about this all the time at the summit talking about this um, and interacting with each other from different perspectives. And then, you know, one of the things that the pandemic has also brought up was the inequities that exist in our society and within our communities. And so the second session focused on supporting uh, Black businesses, which uh, was very thought-provoking and interesting and engaging, and um, certainly brought up things that we all should be thinking about, just like climate change. And
1: Jeanette, if people wanted to, they could go still see those sessions, they didn't miss out?
2: No, they absolutely did not. Um, we live recorded all of our sessions, and they're available on our YouTube channel, um, CPEC, CPEC, yeah, YouTube, CPEC, channel
1: great um in your next session which is one that we want to talk about the session's entitled time to define the new normal right air quotes right <laughs> right Jeanette? um with dr michael Oppenheimer on um our future climate so there it's a panel he's speaking so just tell us a little bit about that's your next one coming up
2: Yes, absolutely. So um, Dr. Michael Oppenheimer is the lead author of the International Panel on Climate Change um, reports that come out every so often. There's a new one coming out um, fairly soon. So now that he's wrapped up writing that one, we were able to secure him for our next webinar on Tuesday. And um, since we're defining a new normal, we decided to have our keynote speaker a.k.a. Michael Oppenheimer, um, in the middle of the session and summits. And so he'll be talking for 45 minutes about the latest signs on climate change and what that means for Louisiana. And of course, we already know a lot about how sea level rise has and will continue to impact our coast. And so we thought that it would be very um, engaging and and again, thought provoking and uh, brain tickling a little bit um, if we put on if we ask um, a responding panel to participate in this session. So we are going to have um, Liz Williams with FFL, the Foundation for Louisiana. We're going to have Collette Pichon-Battle with the Gulf Coast Center for Law and Policy, Dr. Kenny Cole with Auctioner, and Dr. Sam Bentley with LSU, um, discussing and re- uh, the impacts of climate change from various angles specific to Louisiana and what the opportunities and challenges are. Um, So I'm really excited about that one. And then we're also going to have, on Thursday, um, we're going to have another panel on climate change where we're exploring the intersection of public health, planning, the economy, and climate change. So um, that's gonna be exciting. And because that week is all about climate change and its impact on the things I just mentioned, um, we're naming it the Climate Week of the Smart Growth Summit. um, I hope I hope your listeners can join us for this.
1: And Jeanette, how can how can they join you? It's it's free, right? Thanks to some some generous Absolutely. donors, you you can just register online.
2: That's correct. So. Um Our sponsors who have been very generous and I just want to give some uh, a plug for EDF and um, the Greater New Orleans Foundation um, and others um, who have sponsored the summit and so this year we are able to offer free registration to everyone who wants to join Um, it's also in the spirit of equity and accessibility and so I'm really proud to say that um, they can go online at summit.cpex.org, or you can um, go on Facebook at the CPEX um, page where we have events scheduled um, as they come up. And the link to registration is there as well. And all you got to do is just register, and an email gets sent to you with the information about how to join the live webinar um, at the time that it takes place. And you can even interact and chat with us and ask questions that have been on your mind and you've always wanted to ask the experts. So, yeah.
0: Well, it sounds great, and certainly glad to hear and support efforts towards um, accessibility and, and making sure that these conversations um, can be heard by as many people as possible. It's certainly something that I think a lot of us has been have been thinking about as we navigate through twenty twenty, right? And and we have pandemics and economic crises and uh, you know hurricanes and all of these things that compound existing inequities and and issues of racism and. You know, um, so we've had um, Arthur Johnson on the past, and we talked about that issue at length as it relates to the Hurricane um, Katrina anniversary. But um, it's great to take us that you all are taking a step back and kind of a look at these pieces that sometimes people may look at in isolation and, and understanding how they're connected. So certainly, conversations very relevant and worth having. So please go. And um, register to, to participate and take part in these conversations if, if you can. Um, so in November, Jeanette, you all are featuring a session on green infrastructure in the Delta. Um, it'll explore green infrastructure, work, work occurring in New Orleans, um, not just the, the work itself, but um, how engagement is happening around the work. So tell us a little bit about that session and what you hope to come out of it.
2: Yeah, so um, that session is, um, as you said, about the engagement that has been happening through um, green infrastructure, both the design of it, the location of it, and the building of it. And then, so we we really wanted to understand more about the health and psychological benefits and the community building benefits of green infrastructure, so we'll be looking at that. Um, and I can't tell you the specifics yet, um, because we're still working on them, but I can tell you that it's going to be exciting and that we're going to have um, amazing speakers, as we always do on it. You can find um, the agenda actually on our website with um, the date and the name and the speakers. Um, But again, we just want to make it, we want to make it so that you can think about it and learn from it. And one of the key aspects is that we also need to dig into what are, all the benefits. So if green infrastructure is being built in one of the richest neighborhoods, then the benefit, what is the benefit to them? Is there gentrification happening? Like those are things, or if it's in a less affluent neighborhood, does that cause gentrification or does it increase public perception of safety from flooding? Like those kind of things we want to discuss. And, you know, gentrification, through the implementation of green infrastructure, for instance, is not something that people really want to talk about, but I do believe we need to talk about this because it is important and it's so important for our society because of what we're observing now. So I, I think we need to bring these topic, topics to light and discuss them. And that's what we'll do. So so Jeanette, remind
1: folks one more time where they can register and to be part of this and they can see the upcoming
2: sessions. Yeah, so again, you can go to summit.cpex.org. You can also just go to cpex.org. It's our landing page, um, the Summit uh, landing page right now. And um, from there, you can register um, very easily, again, at no cost. You can find the agenda there. You can see the lineup of speakers. You can see a short bio of the speakers and what each session in detail will be uh, discussing. Um, The links will be available once you register. So look for that.
1: So, um, Jeanette, y'all always have something going on. We're going to talk to Charles next about your work there. Do you have anything else fun going on at CPEX?
2: What? That's not enough? Um, (laughs) No, of course. We always have exciting things going on. So, one of the things that we're also working on, and I was um, alluding to that a little bit, is really understanding more about how the built environment affects public health, and we're ready to put some metrics to that. Um, We have begun um, identifying how you know, what the pandemic is doing to public health. And so, um, anything from um, food security or rather food insecurity to, um, you know, rental housing crises that exist or, or even just a regular housing crisis that seems to be emerging as a result of the economic impacts uh, from the pandemic. So, all of these um, are indicators of a, a community well being. And so, we're in some more met- metric way um, determining. That and our goal is to establish a um, healthy community design center long term and um, provide um, detailed information and analyses to people so that they can make really um, well informed decisions with hardcore data.
1: Very interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm you know I'm not going to also let you get out of your interview without asking you a fun question. Um, so I know I know that. Um, uh, that you weren't born here in Louisiana, but I know you have an opinion on this. Um, this week was, uh, or yesterday was national gumbo day, even though it was a high of 90 degrees outside. So Jeanette, um, two questions. Are you a chicken and sausage or a seafood gumbo person?
2: Sort of like them all, but you know, it's got to have that potato salad in it.
1: (laughs) Okay. That was my question, Jeanette, because I was going to ask, I'm almost afraid to ask people because I feel like it could sever some relationships that I have because I have such a very strong opinion on this, but the potato salad goes in the gumbo, right, Jeanette?
2: Oh, yeah. 100% in the yes. gumbo we and, I love, and you know the fun thing is you alluded that i wasn't born here and that's right um i was born in germany and i make a really good potato salad <laughs> and, uh, that's the one that goes into the gumbo i love that I
0: okay. recipe for that german potato salad because it sounds delicious
1: you got um, it i live in a house divided i mean it's unbelievable that that um that people think that it doesn't go in there. Although somebody told me last week that there is a restaurant in Slidell, Louisiana that has a dish called the Irish Channel. And they line up the potato salad in the middle, middle of the bowl, like long ways. And one side is chicken and sausage, and one side is seafood gumbo. So you gotta like work your way and you can't let them touch. I think that's amazing. Jock. we might have to go try that out.
2: Amazing.
0: Road trip to slide <laughs> Out. Well, thank you so much, uh, Jeanette, and, and good luck with the Smart Growth Conference and, and everyone at CPACs. And please come back at any point. You're always welcome to be on the show.
2: Thank you so much for thank having me. Met. I'm glad to see you all doing well. <clears> thank <throat> you.
0: Same too, too. You too. All right. Well, it is time for the Coastal Voice of the Week. This week's Coastal Voice is from Susan in New Iberia. Um, Susan says, I support the restoration efforts to restore the coast because I live less than 15 miles from the coast. I understand the importance of each person sharing and protecting the coast. All Americans should be aware of the effect of coastal erosion. This is not just a local issue, but a total buy-in of all Americans. And that is from Susan in New Iberia. And certainly we, we hope that Susan and her family are doing well right now. So um, well, that was a great first segment, we're going to continue the discussion with Louisiana's chief resilience officer, Charles Sutcliffe, right after the break. Um, so we'll be right back on Delta Dispatches. back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund.
1: And I'm Samoma Laws with Restore or Retreat. That was a great discussion with Jeanette.
0: Yeah, I really um, you know appreciated her insights. And it sounds like the summit is going to be super interesting, very topical and timely. So please go register, attend, um, catch up on the sessions that have That are recorded and are available on CPEX's YouTube channel. Um, And yeah, looking forward to tuning in for some of the rest of the summit.
1: Yeah, and we're happy to have on our next guest, Charles Sutcliffe, the Chief Resilience Officer, the first Chief Resilience Officer within the Louisiana Governor's Office of Coastal Activities. Welcome back to the show, Charles.
3: Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me on again.
1: We're trying to give your avid listener um, friend, Chip Klein, a little run for his money.
3: Uh, I think you're just trying to get Chip back on so that he can uh, beat my record.
1: (laughs) So how have you been um, since we last talked? I mentioned to Jeanette, I think it was, you know, March, May, one of those things. Um, So how have you been doing? How have you girls been doing?
3: We've been doing very well, considering everything that's been going on. Um, So uh, thanks for asking.
1: So what has, you have continued work as usual. You were working from home. You're back in the office. So tell us you've just, like I said, been working as usual. You have some pretty important work with CPEX and the state agencies, right?
3: Yes. Back in August, the governor uh, made everything official with signing two executive orders, and then we're going to talk about the second one uh, probably the most today. But the first one, one of them was was with our work with CPEX about kind of building uh, resilience across the state by engaging all the state agencies in the work and the you know connecting them to the issue of coastal land loss um, in a in a more meaningful way so that's the stuff that's been going on to some degree um, but we're trying to really be intentional and really uh, form connections and, and Jeanette is, is the kind of the lead CPEXer on that one uh, along with Joni and then also Denise Reed who we all know too from the more from the science community um, and we're, we've been working on that.
1: So Charles without without talking about specific agencies, how did some of those initial conversations go? Or are they like, hey man, what are you talking about? Resilience? Or were most receptive to the idea of incorporating resiliency into their agencies?
3: I, th- I think that, you know, collectively, and I include uh, you and Jacques in this, that we've gotten the word out about the coastal problem pretty well. And I think a lot of people were, um, really aware of what was going on and how kind of serious it was. And um, we also were able to throw a a workshop for them in October of 2018, where they really um, got to spend two days just really uh, thinking about this problem and kind of what their connection was to it. And so we we hit the ground running with this project. I mean, everybody was kind of ready, ready to see what their part was. was. It's been great.
1: So the secretaries appointed folks from within their agencies to work with you. Is that how how you structured it, at least initially?
3: Yeah, we thought the first thing that we had to do to build resilience was to have some kind of way to coordinate ourselves. And so, you know, that's why my position exists. And then each agency, just like you said, created a special resilience coordinator. Um, it's So they're not only the point person on this project specifically, but anytime something comes up. That, that crosses over from CPRA land into another state agency, we know exactly who to call right away. So it's been really helpful um, just to have these this one more layer of communication uh, in place. So that's been that's been an immediate positive from this project.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point, especially kind of though, all the work that you do, we were, I was talking about it on an, another radio show on an interview last Friday that, you know, you'll have this everyday work of advancing protection and restoration and resilience, right? And then, you know, hurricane season comes up and then that's more immediate work. And so that's a very interesting and, and well-said point about just increasing communication across state agencies. And so um, I'm sure that's been helpful, especially during this active hurricane season. Definitely. So Charles, also part of one of the executive orders, y'all talked about standing up a climate initiatives task force. So what's the idea behind that? And, um, you know, without naming names, um, to talk about how, you know, what that looks like. Is it balanced, industry folks? Tell us more about that.
3: Yeah, sure. So we, you know, for a long time, we have been incorporating the science of climate change into the coastal master plans and how we understand what the future might hold for the coast so that we can pick the best projects. And that's been a really crucial part of our our, our process, you know, since the beginning. Um, and so what this task force does is it wants to, to really put greenhouse gas emissions uh, on the front burner of this issue. So we know that um, this is an important part of the problem, and that we're not going to be able to just um, restore the coast if we don't also do something about our contributions to um, climate change, which is being fueled by the greenhouse gas emissions. So that's the that's the, the you know the, the kind of the impetus behind this project. So it, it starts from a from a coastal perspective, um, just kind of that's that's the issue that we work on most closely. But as I'm sure your listeners know, that the the impacts from climate change are going to be felt throughout Louisiana, throughout the country, and the world. We already are being felt. Um, those places, and so so while this is um, you know, started at the coast, we want to have a, a big a big view of kind of where the impacts are being felt. But this task force's main job is going to be not to think about adaptation because we have a master plan for that. We have a resilience um, effort. We have a watershed initiative. Their job is going to be just to look at emissions and what what are some strategies and policies that we can put into place to kind of uh, bring them, bring them down so that we can meet the goals that are established in the executive order.
1: So you're thinking about a, a mix of government folks, industry representatives, and community folks, right? Taking some lessons learned about outreach and engagement, it, it's going to be balanced.
3: We, uh, balanced is the word that we that we are are trying to use, and we're trying to convey that to, to every side of this issue that we we know that. Um, you know, there's going to be a role for government. There's going to be a role for the private sector. There's going to be a role for the environmental community. There's going to be a role for science. We want there to be a role for um, equity perspectives and uh, more more community-scale people. And so we've tried to structure the task force to include all those different voices, but also to keep it as small as possible so that we can still have meaningful conversations and actually kind of, um, you know, conduct business. But what we've also done is by creating um, working groups Committees underneath the task force were able to have more focused conversations and to bring in additional voices that are kind of continue to expand the the, the types of, of folks who are able to participate in the crafting of these policies. And so it's going to be a lot of work for us to kind of manage all that, but I think that's the only the only right way to do it is to um, have it be as inclusive as possible, have that balance where we know some folks are going to be um, pushing for certain ideas, and we want to we want to hear the pros and cons of every idea that gets put out there.
1: So the subcommittees would just get in the weeds of things like the science communities, those those certain issues.
3: Sure. So the we've got two types of subcommittees because uh, that's how we're doing it. And it's, we again we think you know we've got we've got some that are broken down as of right now by kind of um, sectors of the economy or, or or places where emissions you know come from. So we've got um, power production, distribution, and use um, is one. Land use, buildings, and housings is another. Transportation is, is a whole um, conversation by itself. We've put agriculture, forestry, conservation, and waste management together. We've got uh, a, a working group just for manufacturing and industry, and we've got a whole other one for mining and oil and gas production. So those are the working groups. Um, and again, even even within those, we want to have balance. We want to have the technical experts that work at these Plants or factories or, or in in that sector that actually understand what, what they're doing and what's possible. But we also want to have, um, you know, other voices that might be more, um, just might push back or might, might offer a different perspective on that. And then we've also got four advisory groups, which are set up because we don't want to lose certain themes as we break into these smaller, weedier conversations. We don't want to, um, you know, we want science to be a part of every single one of those conversations. So we've got a special science advisory group that can kind of inform all those different conversations. We've got an equity advisory group that can inform all the different conversations that are happening. And then we also stood one up for legal and for finance and economic um, implications too, because we want to have those, those aspects covered no matter what type of policy is being suggested, whether it's an agricultural policy or a industrial policy we don't want to miss any of those angles.
1: Charles, this has been fairly well received, right? Um, when when y'all made the announcement, the governor came to the CPRA board meeting. Um, it's been f- fairly well received, right? And, and so your next steps would be to announce some of this information.
3: Yeah, I think, um, you know, we did a, a lot of work uh, in the spring. Uh, when everybody was locked down, we were able to make a lot of Zoom calls to folks um, all over the Spectrum on this issue, and to kind of let them understand what what our goal was. That our goal was not to to start this conversation with a bunch of regulations, but to kind of build build up recommendations from the ground up. So I do think that has helped us um, build trust uh, with all the different stakeholders involved. Um, and you're right. And so the next thing we're doing, we're we're very close to being able to announce the names um, for for the actual seats. So the executive order created a structure, it, all these different tasks. Um, Committees I was talking about, but it also created a seat for the different um, people who will serve on the task force. And so we've been collecting names. The Names have gone up to the governor, and he gets, he'll he'll choose certain names from the list that that we we provide to him. And then you know I don't th- we, we are hoping to have the first meeting on October 30th. Um, so I can't tell you the exact time and location yet because we have to work out a few more details make sure we it'll
1: be a cliffhanger no i know i I,
3: I wish i could tell you exactly um who was on everything and where and when but we we have narrowed in on that date and um we're excited to kind of get it started because we've been in the planning phase um since basically since the quarantine
1: yeah, that is, that is exciting news. Um, when when preparing for this interview, and yes, we do do some homework before we do it, I, I came across this. Louisiana is the only state where industrial sector emissions make up more than half of the state's total emissions, but it also possesses some of the greatest potential for carbon capture and underground storage through the deployment of new technologies as well as restoration of natural systems like wetlands. So I thought that was a, it was interesting perspective maybe back to that balance that you talked about too. So yeah that, and
3: I'll, so I'll just take take that in, in two parts really. I mean I think that one of the reasons that it's going to be important for Louisiana to kind of figure out what solutions work the best for it because if you saw a national or certain if other states or the nation at large they've got a different emissions profile than we do most places it's most it's coming from transportation and utilities are kind of number one and two with, with, with maybe industrial processes a, a third. Um, but we're like you mentioned, you know, we are we have a different economy and we have a different a different profile. And so it's going to be important for us to figure out what what it looks like for for us to make net zero by 2050. Um, we, we've got to figure that out together. Um, and then the other on the other side, just like you said too, we've got you know unique um, characteristics that we're doing. We're trying to restore as much wetlands as possible under the master plan, and we want to be able to quantify and appreciate the that the potential there to kind of uh, sequester carbon. And we also want to lean on our, um, you know, the the fact that we do have so much industry here and so much infrastructure connecting that industry. And we've got this this geology that allows us to sequester carbon dioxide. How can we kind of make the case for that and, and make that technology something that's viable and, and really helping us um, meet the goals that we set up?
1: So y'all are y'all are really making some some inroads over at at the governor's office of of coastal activities. Y'all have really decided to tackle some big issues. Some of your colleagues are working on hypoxia and a few other things. Tell me about what your friends in the office over there are also working on.
3: Yeah, I mean it is a lot. I'll probably miss some things, so apologies to Morgan and Lindsay and Harry and everybody <laughs> else over here. Um, so we are we are just. Playing a more active role in hypoxia, um, the nutrient issue—it's—it's um, a—it's the kind of issue you know we've had a lot of state agencies working on that for a long for a long time, and we just want to be able to add a a you know that cross agency look and also a a, a cross state look. So we want to be able to be able to engage upriver um, as much as possible there, um, and so that that's something that that is happening. I think we had, we had our governor's advisory commission last week that we all wanted to have. Um, we would have heard a little bit more about that and I would have gotten more up to speed than I currently am by, <laughs> by hearing that presentation. Um, but since we didn't, we'll all have to wait till, um, hopefully yeah, we we'll More cliffhangers out of
1: it. Go um,
3: well, and then another thing that, that we're, we were also supposed to hear about is, is something that that's exciting that, um, that led is really, uh, teaming up with CPRA on it. It has to do with the, um, just kind of the economic side of coastal restoration and protection, and so we want to be able to uh, you know highlight the opportunities for Louisiana businesses to to play a part in the, the restoration of our coast and the protection of our coast, and we want to you know make sure that those workforce um, opportunities are, are, are coming to our people um, as much as possible. And so LEDs working on um, standing up something called CTAC, the Coastal Technical Assistance Center. Is that right, Simone Center? Yes, yes. that's right. <laughs> um,
2: they're,
3: they're working on that, and, and so that's part, a big part of our, our – we're, we're trying to be more thoughtful about the economic side of, of what we're doing. Um, that's, so that's another big issue. Um, there's, there are things afoot with, with oysters and trying to um, ensure the sustainability of that industry and, and working with them. There are um, – what else are we working on? Uh,
1: I think the question is, what are you working on, right? I
3: think, so. I think so, and yeah, and it's so it's been it's been really good. Um, I, I just think it's a really exciting time to be to be working on this issue. You know, CPRA is putting out the you know re- record breaking projects every time we turn around. Um, in spite of all the storms we've had, um, we've been able to kind of advance on this on this policy front, and so things are things are are, are going well. Um, from a you know. If, you know moving the ball down the, down the field point of view.
1: Yeah, that's a good point and a good place for us to kind of explain that while CPRA does the implementation work, GOCA works on the policies. They are two different um, units, right? But they they work together and com- complement each other really well. And, and frankly, one can't move without the other. And so that is really important that the governor's office is, is continuing to move that ball forward. I know there's a couple of things afoot also on the federal fl- front, certainly in regards to the Water Resources Development Act and, and some things um, even like that. So no rest for the weary over there at GOCA and at CPR. And, and you're right. Um, I don't think Jacques and I got a chance to talk about this, but two record breaking announcements in terms of, of material being moved and, um, acres being restored. And that also means jobs, a lot of jobs. And so thank you for also bringing up SeaTac. Um, we're uh, proud to have some small role in that. Um, it will be housed at uh, Nichols State University, um, uh, very close to our office. And so that can be another topic for another day. But the idea is to better connect um, local businesses um, to all levels of that work, um, whether it be local through the levy districts or through the state, the Corps of Engineers, etc. So um, we're excited to be engaging more on that work as well. So um, we talked a little bit about this uh, during the break, but it's time for our fun question. So, Charles, did you clarify in or out potato salad? Well, Charles. if I'm eating it, I'll eat it. I
3: love it. I mean, I, I like it. But, I, but what I was saying, my my, my earlier point, is that I have to I have to do the majority of the cooking and I often don't have time <laughs> to also make potato salad. And so it's just a, such an easier way to go to just get the rice going in the background while you're finishing everything.
1: So, else. If, so if, if Jeanette made her potato salad, would you put it in or out?
3: Different story. It's all, all going in. It's going in. <laughs> all
1: right. That's, that's much better to hear. Um, Did you plant a fall garden?
3: I, I moved into a new house and I'm really trying to get, a garden carved out, but it has not happened yet. I've got a few flowers for pollinators, but no like lettuce or much else this year.
1: Very interesting, very interesting. No fall vegetables from the Sudcliffs. okay. All right. Um, I'll give you a pass, but you have to do a spring one. <laughs> yeah. What else would we talk about? <laughs> no, yeah, right. Kidding. Food, yeah. food we're the, talking uh, about food. We talk about food a lot. We do. Um, Charles and I will send each other pictures of, of whatever we're making. So um, Charles, it's always great to have you on. Uh, you are doing great work over there. It's nice to hear that you're also doing it in partnership with so many other people. And and so that's really great to hear. Um, I'm going to bring back my colleague uh, Jacques Auber, who who was forced to listen to most of that interview. I'm going to let him help us close out the show.
0: Well, thank you, Simone, uh, for driving that conversation. You know, I, I I still am a little bit on vacation mode, but I really enjoyed listening <laughs> to the conversation between you and Charles. And you always do such a great job. So, and we we still love Charles, even if he's an out of Outside the the gumbo potato salad oh, guys,
1: so, potato salad, but we still do love him. That's fine. yes.
0: Well, just a reminder, please go to cpex.org if you'd like to register for their Smart Growth Summit and tune into upcoming segments. Um, and as another reminder, if you would like to help people who are in Southwest Louisiana who've been impacted by Hurricane Laura and now Hurricane Delta, you could go to MississippiRiverDelta.org/slash. Laura Relief, and we'll have organizations on that site that are doing work on the ground. So um, again, our thoughts go out to everyone in Southwest Louisiana um, for a speedy recovery and that they get the support and help that they need. So it is time for our Coastal Stat of the Week, and this week's Coastal Stat is based on a 2015-2016 US Department of Energy estimate, Louisiana is fifth among states in both total carbon emissions and emissions per capita. Louisiana's emissions come from a variety of sources, including production of oil and gas wells, the use of oil and gas as fuel and in refineries and petrochemical manufacturing and from car, truck and ship traffic. So, um, you know, just add additional context to the conversation that um, occurred earlier. So another great episode. We'll have more um, good conversations in the weeks and months ahead And hopefully next time we come back, Simone and I can report on what it's like to finally feel some fall temperatures here in Louisiana, (laughs)
1: right?
0: (laughs) Exactly. Our gumbo conversation will actually be relevant at that time. Um, So we'll see y'all next week. Until then, see you later, alligators.